And if you're not doing well, you can't be of service to others, I think is another lie. Um, you know, we don't have to have everything together to be out making an impact and serving, you know, and, and just know that the person that you're rubbing elbows with, something is going on in their life that they're hurting. Can you find it? Can you speak to it? Does God have a word for them through you or a way to serve through you? I guarantee you that they've got something going on that you can help with. Welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of generosity and whole life stewardship. Our goal is to showcase individuals and organizations making a positive impact in our communities and across the world. I'm your host, Eric Most, president of the National Christian Foundation, and I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Lori Bossert, VP in our office today. Hey, Lori, how's it going? It's a great day. Thanks, Eric. Absolutely. Hey, and we have Joel Malik here with us today, and and Joel is um, a friend. He's actually a neighbor. He actually lives in the same neighborhood as both Lori and I, um, and we didn't even know it. It's one of those things that's like, man... Uh, you know, I actually talk about like, how, how are you, how are you neighboring? Well, a lot of times, and do you know your neighbors and, and would your neighbors be upset if you moved away? Right. I think that's like a good question. I think it's a good question for churches. I think it's a good question for us as individuals. If my neighbors aren't upset that I moved out of town, like I'm probably not doing a good job. And so unfortunately I found out that Joel lives literally only like seven or eight doors up from me and we were not uh, neighboring well, but we got connected uh, a few years ago at a, a faith and business event and and uh, reconnected through our church because we actually go to the same church. It's a large church, so sometimes we just don't see each other, but um, it's so good to be with you today, Joel. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. Yeah, I'm excited for this conversation. I think we have a great neighborhood. The more people I meet that are in the neighborhood, I'm like, man, this is a powerful place, man. I'm glad I live here. Absolutely. You know? We need to do something with that, though. Like, How do we like harness that power and get the, get the group collectively together. I was thinking about doing like a progressive dinner, like over Christmas at some point would be fun. Like where we go like through like house to house to house. You guys have an an amazing amphitheater in your neighborhood. It's beautiful. Just do a picnic there now. Exactly. I'll bring the ice cream. I mean, that's what I'm looking forward to, you know? That's right. That's right. (laughs) It's a good idea. There's an ice cream social coming up. We just need to target those events. Well, Joel, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today. Um, Would you go ahead and give us a little bit about who you are? Um, Tell us your upbringing, what brought you to Colorado? Because we're here in Colorado, as many of you know, but um, um, share us about that and what you do for work and family and stuff like that. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, my dad was really in the church planting business, so he started this organization called the uh, Church Planting Trainment Center, um, and it is responsible for a lot of church plants around the country. Well, when he did that, we would move around a lot, um, and he would uh, start a church get it going and kind of hand it off and we'd move on to the next place. And so we lived all over the place and landed in Colorado Springs in 92. And uh, other than going away to college for just a brief period of time, I've been here since then. Um, I love it here. Uh, I have six kids. um, So we have a busy household and uh, my wife and I are going nuts right now. We got a senior and a kindergartner and everything in between. So we're having some fun. I, I run a business, uh, recently wrote a book, which we'll talk a little bit about. And I'm just wrapping up two years of school. Uh, I call it school, but it's really a, a program through the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is their kind of pastoral licensing program. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that, but I felt like God asked me to do it. So uh, we'll see some fun things on the horizon there. And, um, you know, I just a little bit about my my faith background Um, I grew up in the church, kind of a standard story you've probably heard, Um, drifted really, really, really far away for a number of years. And I tell people I started making good decisions at 27. 
<laughs> there okay. is there is some statistic out there about that front lobe of the male brain, you know, yeah. really in, engaging it's somewhere true. around that 26, 27. I don't, I don't know why, but uh, I was baptized in 08. Um, so just a few years after that, and I'm 44 now, and uh, God's just continuing to work on my heart, uh, which is all, not always pleasant, mm. uh, but I think uh, very good and fulfilling. So I'm excited for what lies ahead. And spiritual walk has been awesome. Spiritual maturity process has been mostly enjoyable. And uh, yeah, so that's where we stand today. That's fantastic. Um, it, 17 to kindergarten. Holy smokes. Yeah. That's, you know, that is a busy house. Maybe that's why we haven't gotten together yet. No, no, I'm just <laughs> yeah, kidding. That's, yeah, that's, it's the kid's fault. It's the kid's no, fault. No, yeah, we, uh, my wife and I, we have four biological children. And then I think about five years ago, we were feeling really called into foster care for, for whatever reason, you know, God puts that thing on your heart and you kind of ignore it for a while. And, and eventually you're like, yeah, let's do this. And then when we got into it, we're like, okay, we're going to do just foster care, but we're not adopting, you know, and I think I was like, yeah, you are, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Aren't so, you glad that God sometimes brings us into things and reveals more later? Yeah. I mean, I think knowing the future would be terrifying. Mm. I don't, Ab- absolutely there'd terrifying. There'd be no way to do it. You know, you wouldn't have the courage to step into it. So. But so often we ask God to give us so that we can understand our future. But truly when it comes down to it, he has got that wisdom to only show us what we need to know. Yeah. Well, just a day at a time, you know, the whole daily bread, the way he taught us to pray. It's like, Hey, show up today. Give me your best today. You know, be obedient today and I'll handle the big story, you mm. know? So, mm. so yeah, we went from four to six grew by 50%, um, adopted them both about 90 days apart, uh, which we were very blessed because a lot of foster care stories don't end that way. Are they siblings, Joel? No, no, they're separate. And, you know, both of, they dealt with some stuff. So we're working through that, but, uh, man, they're, they're a huge blessing. They're a ton of work. There are days my wife and I look at each other and we're like, we're not sure we're going to make it, which Mm. I think is where Mm. you're supposed to be actually when you're following the Lord. So you mean when we're weak, he's strong? Yeah, I, apparently it works. I don't know. <laughs> apparently we need to follow that well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I was recently thinking about um, some friends, uh, John and Ashley Marsh, and John Marsh says, um, you know, God never wastes time. He's always weaving where, we're, where, we, where we are to where we're going. And so, like, yeah, the, we want to see that end sight, and, and, and we, we'd hope to know that, but it could be scary. But yet God is using all of our, like, bumps and bumps and turns and hard things to, to develop us, to take us to right now where he has us and wants to use us. Um, how does that actually even that thought resonate with like your life? Yeah, I think that, um, for me, it's just been trying to let God lead and then being willing to take that next step. Mm. Um, you know, I think we think so much about what are we going to do? Who are we going to be? I think that's, that's almost too large. Mm-hmm of an idea. I think just being faithful to have the courage to step into what that calling is one day at a time, one step at a time. I feel like he's a much better storyteller than we are. We map it all out. And sometimes I think we get caught going for the wrong things Yeah. when we map it out too much. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about, you know, kind of that later stage of life and the retiree and why that can be so critical at that stage. But I've enjoyed sort of the brevity of the calling mm. You know, like, hey, today I want you to be faithful in this. Mm. 
And it can seem like a small thing on paper, like you're helping just one person today or making an impact in one person's life. But he's putting together a really cool story as you look back on it. And so, yeah, Laura, you bring up a good point. Like, I'm super excited that we don't get to know the future. Because <laughs> if you'd have laid this out, you know, 10, 10 years ago for me, I would have said, nah, <laughs> no way. Right. You know, because it, it does feel overwhelming. And yet when we take the time to look in our rearview mirror and see all that God has done, that's truly when we see God's faithfulness, that uh. he's the one that showed up and it wasn't really us. And that's why if we can just keep the perspective of the one step forward and let God take care of the whole story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, faithfulness is the picture that he paints when you're looking backwards, which is amazing because along the way we're fill, filled with stress and anxiety or, you know, uh, other things that we're dealing with and we just have a hard time trusting him. Um, and that's one thing that he just continues to teach me is like in the midst of this stuff I've called you to, you can trust me and I'm going to take care of it. And I, I'm so thankful that, that he is true to that. Mm-hmm. So... So Joel, I'm just curious, how did you get into financial services? How did, where did, how did that calling on your life between you and God work out? Yeah, well, I don't even, I mean, I think in hindsight, it was a calling, but the way I approached it is I just wanted to be rich. Um, I uh, thought money was cool and I didn't want to work long. I wanted to be independently wealthy by 30, you know, was kind of my thought. And if it went anything past that, I was failing. Um, There's a few big goals there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think wayward would be the right way to describe <laughs> it, Lori. But, you know, it was this idea that I, I went to college in Seattle. So it was during the dot-com era. You know, we were at the end of the 90s. Um, you know, Internet was just coming online and these companies were booming. And I thought that, you know, wealth and power was cool and exciting. And, uh, you know, God had other plans to take me through that journey but uh, that's where it began. I didn't come out of college saying, oh, I want to be generous and I want to, you know, pour myself out. And I want to, I came in with all the wrong goals, you know, and which I think a lot of people do who get into finance. I think they're motivated by power and money, prestige, and, and sort of this, uh, you know, this people look up to people who are successful in finance, you know, for whatever reason. And I think I wanted that. I think there's just a normal... American dream that we all take a big bite of when we're young and we think that this is the path we're supposed to take of. And so I think you were there. I don't think you did anything different than what even our American churches can sometimes say, this is the path to take, right? Yeah. It's dangerous for young adults, I think, because, you know, I wanted to have influence. I wanted to be important. I want to, and some of, none of these things are necessarily bad if you're doing it for the right reason if you're doing it for him you know and not for yourself but you're um, also the pressure is put on you to be a provider you know to mm-hmm. be able to provide for your family to be able to have that stability and so even those things that can be godly and taught from the church can also sometimes get taken out of context because that is our focus yeah absolutely but i think you know god knew and obviously he knows all of our days before even one of them was so and he's a patient god you know, and so a, a couple of years to him is like, you know, a drop in the bucket to us. But so he's patient with us, thankfully, um, and lets us learn these things the hard way a lot of times. Uh, but that's what brought me in. And today I couldn't be more different of a person than, than when I entered. So 22 years in, um, 
I really am enjoying this idea that it's important to be a good steward, but your life really shouldn't be at all about your money. Um, and usually that's where God starts blessing people, right? Um, and, and the more you make it about your money and about your stability, uh, the less fulfilled you become. And the more you make it about other people, um, you know, the more uh, fulfilled and that kind of deep sense of joy. I'm not talking about happiness, which I think is what we're kind of taught to pursue um, through this, this retirement dream, as we'll get into a little bit. I'm talking about fulfillment, joy, purpose, mission. You know, I think those are better words. Um, so today, uh, that's what I'm here to do. And, and I feel like God's got me here for that reason, brought me through, taught me a lot of things that I needed to, to learn to speak from experience, you know. And that's, that's quite a shift, right, from when you entered in the industry to where you are uh, now. Was there a specific thing? I mean, you talk about just over time, but was there a, a specific thing that really changed your your paradigm from from seeking your own success and early retirement and lots of money to now um, to now wanting to make a difference and an impact and a mission? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I've got a pretty strong uh, will. <laughs> so uh, God had to take me through a process where he, he humbled me, broke that will some, you know, got me to the point where I was less uh, in control and more giving my life over to him, which I think we all have to journey through that to some extent. I think it depends on how um, strong-willed we are to begin with, uh, how much breaking needs to be involved. Um, and so for me, it was a lot, unfortunately, you know, and so I had a journey through a four or five year season where, you know, I just, it was a, a real significant pressing, uh, a lot of mistakes. Um, and I had to learn that, um, you know, God is doing a good work through this. You know, he's really good at turning broken things into beautiful things. And, and so, uh, there are times where you look back and you, and this doesn't resonate with everyone, but I think with a lot of people, you look back at your past or mistakes that you've made and you, you tend to regret them. Um, and I definitely have lived there for a while. Um, and there's always still a little bit of that. You know, I think the enemy likes to, he's very backward looking. Um, so there's always that there. But what I love about that is I've learned to see those as, as who God has made me to be now. Like without those, I just couldn't be the empathetic guy that I am, the humble guy that I am. I think there's no other way to humility for me mm -hmm. other than knowing that I made the mistakes and God fixed them all, you know, um, mm -hmm. or he redeemed them all, mm -hmm. you know, and talk about being appreciative of mercy and grace. Well, now I get to take that into every meeting I have, every conversation I have. It's just a makeup of who I am now. Mm. And so I pray for my kids that they don't have to have the same journey, <laughs> you know, like, but there's, it's really hard to learn about God's mercy and grace without really experiencing it personally. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, so you're here now, uh, uh, running things here at Everoak. Is there some distinctives that you have, um, with your financial services practice that maybe is counter to other financial services firms in, in, in and around? Yeah, very much so. I think Everoak is a product of, all of this that we're going to talk about today, which is we are trying to go against the grain in financial services. The way we've structured our company from top to bottom is built to put the client first. Uh, we don't pick and choose based on portfolio size. Whoever God leads here, we care for well. 
and we trust him to handle the rest, where the rest of the industry is pretty much rating people by their portfolio size and making sure they get rid of the non-profitable clients. And, and uh, we're the exact opposite of that. Um, and it's hard, I will tell you at times, because, you know, the natural fleshy inclination is, gosh, should I be spending the amount of time on this particular situation? Mm-hmm. Which I think we all sort of have that mm-hmm. voice on our shoulder and we try to reject that, say, no, nope, no, nope, we're going to do it. We're going to care for them well. I don't care if we don't make a dime off of it. That's mm-hmm. not the point. Uh, we're here to serve. And it's funny how God's always just taking care of all the rest. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, tell me about your marketing plan. How have you guys grown so much? I'm like, well, we pray and we serve people who come in and we put their interests first. <laughs> you know, like, people are like, I don't, I don't understand. How many marketing calls do you do? Yeah. You know? God's kingdom is not always the way that we as men and women think, right? He does, he does have ways above ours and he does take care of us when our true goal is to serve him. And I love the fact that your marketing plan is prayer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was reading Isaiah 55 this morning, which is the verse you just referenced is that, you know, we're not always perfect at it. And we, we do, you know, tend to cater towards the people who have more money, I think in society, which is a shame Mm -hmm. um, because God's everyone's made the image of God and, and they all have talents, you know, creating money isn't necessarily a talent, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I know a lot of people that, you know, I would never um, want them leading me financially that have been very successful in, in financial planning or business. So someone being good at it is no indication of, of someone that you want to work with. Um, so we are trying to bring people in who are like-minded. So everyone who works here, they're in it for the bigger mission, the bigger story. Uh, we're not a faith-based firm. Um, you know, we don't, we don't market ourselves as, hey, we're Christian, you're Christian, you should work with us. We think our values need to speak for themselves up front, and we hope that they do. And then we bring our faith into how we serve people. Um, because I've worked with some Christian organizations that it's like, uh, you might not want to tell people that you're Christian, you know. <laughs> but uh, so that's out there. I think we just let, let our values hopefully do the talking. Um, and it's, it's not a vendetta on we've always been good. I mean, we, we've made mistakes. Uh, but I think it's this idea that like, are, are we getting better? Are we getting closer to who God, who God has called us to be today? Are we serving more selflessly and humbly? Are we putting that extra work in for these people who really need it? And we try to measure things that way. Um, like here, you're not going to find a list of people in their production level on the wall and, and, you know, the top producer is the most valuable person. Mm. We don't, we don't work like that. Um, and we're loving it. You know, I know I'm really enjoying it. I love the fact that I can sit across the table from a client. If they decide to not work with us, I'm not financially motivated for that. You know, and if they do, I love implementing it because I think they will be a good fit and I can help them. Mm. I love to hear the heart of mm. this. It is just, it's so neat because Truly, our lives should be about giving and trusting God with what he brings forth. And that's what it sounds yeah. like you guys do here at Ever Oak. Yeah, I mean, our, our tagline is advancing your financial health so you can boldly pursue your purpose. We call it our just cause. I really enjoy Simon Sinek. The infinite game changed, changed my life, actually, I think would be safe to say. Um, this idea that we're not working to beat anyone or win uh, because in the end, you don't win, you just die. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're look, we're working to leave a sustainable legacy for people who can carry it on beyond us. 
in the old model simply was not sustainable. It died with the individual um, who had the idea that created the plan that sold the product. And today we're trying to build something that if we can get clients uh, so well organized in trusting us to manage their finances well so that they can stop worrying about it and start worrying about their calling, that's the goal. So it's really that financial freedom of understanding, having that freedom space so their focus is totally on their God's calling. Exactly. We think financial management is critical. You know, just I know for you guys, charitable giving is a huge piece. And we, we think good stewardship is, is absolutely important. So when we tell them to pay attention to it less, we're not telling them to not be a good steward. We're just telling them to get their things aligned well. Let's figure out the plan and then let us implement and manage it. And, and you take all of that energy that would be wasted energy and go focus on making an impact in someone's life because we already know that's the only thing that's going to bring them fulfillment. Mm -hmm. We also know that they can't control the stock market or politics or any of that stuff that they tend to consternate over and that drives all of their fear and decision-making. So the plan is there to get them off of all of that and onto their purpose. That is just great. Yeah. I mean, I get excited about that. Yeah. I'm a financial person. Mm -hmm. I certainly don't look at my portfolio, but once a year, maybe. Yeah, you would be unique. I am. Yeah, and that's good. <laughs> I actually, what's funny is, is I log into my accounts once a year as well. Um, I've had to do it outside of my normal rotation recently because I did a donor advised fund and had to give some highly appreciated stock away. Ding, well ding, done. Ding. Well done. <laughs> so I had to log in and see what the lowest basis stock I had was, you know, and, uh, and do that. But normally once a year I log in, it's, it's just to do an update for my wife really. So she knows where it's at. And I'm not even interested anymore. People are like, well, you're a financial advisor. I thought we're supposed to be really logging in often. And I was like, actually, no, I think that that's, that's incorrect. I think the more you check it, the more it owns you, mm -hmm. uh, for better or for worse. Lots of people like to log in when it's good because it makes them feel better. Mm -hmm. And that's a lie too. Yeah. It's a dopamine hit that they dopamine get. Dopamine hit, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, doing good. And then, and then next thing you know, there's a crash too when, yeah. uh, when they, they see the markets down, reds on their stock ticker on their phone, and then, and then they're like, oh, man, I'm, now I'm in a terrible mood because of my finances are down. So. Yeah, I've always had like this dream of, of – giving people a statement once every five years. Mm. Yeah. And like, here you get your five-year statement. Everyone would be like, wow, that worked out great. Glad I didn't worry about it. <laughs> it, it, it would probably, uh, if they could really release, that would be good. Yep. Well, that's kind of what's driven you to, to actually write this book after yep. work. Um, an honest discussion about retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams. It, th this book was birthed out of your work here and working with so many different clients. So could you give us a little bit of background of the book, why you wrote it outside of what I just said? Yeah. Uh, so flesh that out a little bit more for us. Yeah, it's funny. I think it speaks back to this, like, God calls you, just take the next step. You don't even know what he's really going to do with it. And your motivations might not even be right yet, mm. but you're still putting the work together. It's yeah. like when I got into finance, I got in for one reason. And today I feel like God's bringing that calling to fruition um, and the book, I think, was similar. We, we felt like we needed a resource for our clients, you know, because they would get to retirement. We had worked all the financial stuff, and they finally would ask the question, do you have a good book to recommend? And I'm like, well, not really, because every book was mainly financial, some sort of axe to grind about something. But we, we didn't need that. We needed, like, the non-financial piece. Mm -hmm. um, and... So for us, it was just more of a resource initially. So when we started sketching it out, we self-published 
on Amazon, uh, Dean Merrill, who's a very accomplished author as a client of mine. And so I went to him first and I said, hey, would you kind of be our, I'll call it an editor. Like, will you keep Alex and I friends? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> just a good yeah. place to start with your co-authoring a book uh, by the end of this. So he took our stuff and wove it together to create one voice. And then uh, we found that the book was actually resonating. It wasn't meant to be any, we didn't market it really. We did some podcast radio shows and it was doing pretty well. And, and when people read it, the few people that did, they would read it and say, oh, I'm, I'm buying two copies for my friend or my parents or my neighbor. We're like, hmm, interesting. Wow, maybe we've got something that could be helpful. And then we reached out to a contact, long story short, uh, ended up getting published by Tyndale uh, this May. Uh, they helped us work through a few things on it, but didn't change much, uh, made it better. Um, and so today we sit here with, I think, more of a missional story, less of a for our client story mm-hmm. uh, that people can use to say, look, finances is like 5% of the retirement problem. Mm-hmm. You know, if you start at 25 and save reasonably over your lifetime, like you're going to be able to financially retire. Mm-hmm. It's not rocket science. Like there's some things we have to figure out tax strategy along the way, charitable giving along the way. That stuff is where the art is done. Mm-hmm. But the rest is really just the math. Mm-hmm. Start young, save a little bit, you'll be all right. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem was is, will you be all right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, because we met lots of people who had plenty of money, and they're just pickleball and happy hour, man. And that's their legacy. Mm. It's like, I mean, how good do you need to get at golf? before you die you know like how many games of pickleball do you have to play and we tell people none of that stuff is bad i like golf my son and i have been playing a lot of pickleball that's the garnish on the dish but what's the meat Mm -hmm. you know and we found that people weren't preparing for any of the meat on the dish they just thought that that was the meat or the main entree Mm -hmm. sorry for all you vegetarians you know could be tofu yeah uh, whatever you like but at the end of the day we had spent no time thinking about who am i going to be when i'm not me anymore Mm -hmm. you know Mm. Well, and you just referenced that most of us talk about our identity related to our job, and therefore, who are we when we retire, and do we see our identity as Christ created us, and we are daughters and sons of the king, and not just related to our job? Yeah, I mean, the book, one, one goal in the book was to write it thoughtfully. We're not diluting Christ, we're not playing it down at all, but we wanted a non-believer to get through it. Um, and maybe realize that what they're missing is God. Because Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the end of the day, like, there's no sense in giving someone a good retirement if they're not a believer, you know, in the end. So that wasn't our goal. Our goal was let's get this in the hands. It maybe can be used evangelistically in a lot of ways for a believer to introduce. Uh, We have a conversation guide on the last page of the book uh, via QR code because we learned that it worked really well in groups. Uh, everyone's got a story around retirement, whether they've retired or not. You know, we were talking even before we went live about how, oh, I'm, it's not retirement. It's my next phase, my encore, my, and that's, that's great. People are starting to think about it that way more, but sharing the stories with other people, watching their parents struggle, um, everyone's got something to contribute to this conversation. So a good group conversation is awesome around this. So we wrote the book with that in mind mm-hmm. and it's going to engage the topic of faith. Mm-hmm. So if you're a believer and you've got neighbors that aren't, hey, I know you guys are getting close to retirement. Let's do a group together. It's a really fun and non-confrontational way 
to have the faith conversation together. So we're just kind of setting the table a little bit with some of that stuff. How neat. Yeah. So we've, we've enjoyed that too. And it's done really, really well in the group setting. And so, yeah, you're right that, uh, faith and purpose, in my opinion, go hand in hand. The two cannot be separated. Um, and so people can't have a purpose apart from faith, but I believe it's not the, what we're called to live here for. So, yeah. Do, do you find that, um, many of your clients have not even thought about purpose, uh, as it relates to their life and, and, um, and, and how is that, affected these all of their life but even as they think about this next phase yeah i think self-admittedly we've got to do a better job with um getting this conversation even ingrained with our clients because i mean the book self-published we got it out to some now fully published in may i mean we're just starting to dive a little deeper on this topic but what i've found is most people believe that their past purpose is going to propel them into their future Hmm. So they think that their purpose was something they've done already. They see it as like a huge tank of gas. They filled up and now they're coasting. Hmm. Um, And it's really more like sand in your hand than it is gas in your tank. And what I mean by that is you're going to wake up soon, very soon in retirement after the sugar rush wears off, which we get into the book and that season of life. Um, and I, I, we can go a number of different ways in this conversation. I'm going to just leave that there because people can pick up the book and read about it. But when the sugar rush is over, and it will be over um, in retirement, you have to know what you're stepping into. You can't just retire from something. You have to retire to something. And that process is best learned well before you retire. You know, like we have a good friend of ours who – a number of years ago had a life event like many of us has have experienced and it's caused us to maybe think differently or see things differently. Well, in this case, he thought, I need to find some other things outside of my normal work that I'm going to give myself to. Okay. So maybe we've been there and he's about to retire in two years now. So this was almost nine years before his retirement going back. The first few things he tried that he thought he would like and think about the retiree now, this is what I hear. In retirement, I'm going to volunteer a few places. I might serve on this nonprofit board. Great. Good things. Probably not a purpose, um, but a good place to start. The problem is, is when you try those things, usually the first few things you do, you don't even like. Like this person was like, I thought these things were going to be great, and I didn't enjoy them. Mm. And then he kept moving through this process, which, by the way, took time. And by the time he found the one that, like, is his thing that I would call his calling or purpose, uh, it was a few years. And now he's done it for four or five years, and uh, he's, he's teaching the seven habits of highly effective leaders into t- territorial prison um, and is just loving this calling, helping these men who are going to come out and, and some that are already out and are living purposeful lives. is just blowing his mind. That was him kicking the tires for a, for a season. Hmm before he knew this is what I'm doing. And so what we try to tell people now is this, we've, we have all these kind of core things that we, that we talk about. Kicking the tires is one of them. You have to start early because when the sugar rush wears off and you realize that this is not the dream you've dreamed, and then you start trying the things and you're hitting failure, failure, failure. I don't like this, this isn't working for me. You find yourself actually in a really problematic state Um, You know, depression is 40% higher among retirees. Uh, The divorce rate has tripled. 
um, in the last few years for those over age 55, by far the largest growing mm-hmm. segment. And it's all around this problem of trying to find the next piece of fulfillment or hit, you know, and like, obviously it divorces it, right? I mean, no, mm. that's not the answer. Or, you know, leaving your spouse of 40 years to go pursue someone else, we know is not, not the right answer. And so we try to fill it in these other ways mm-hmm. in life. But uh, the best way to do it is just prepare for it ahead of time. Mm. Know that retirement is going to be hard, you know, which people don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to understand it as this great season they worked for. Don't do that. It can be great, yeah. but it's different. Yeah, you know, we have, a, we have a lot of military folk here in, in Colorado Springs and in the area. And one thing I really have loved to see is how um, uh, for folks that are kind of retiring out, the military is actually given like six months kind of leading up with, um, you know, what's next. And a lot of times they actually even give opportunities for you to like intern at different organizations that are kind of paid. And, and what if we actually set up paradigms for that for like for, for maybe the employers that, were, that, that are listening to this right now to think about like how can you help – the folks that have that have spent their life or spent the last several years of their lives working for you launch to the next phase well. Uh, maybe in that same type of mentality of having an yeah. opportunity to internship and try some different things out and see what's see what their next calling and, and what they really can discern from the Lord. What, what will you have me do in this next phase? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like we've done a couple presentations for some larger organizations where we're talking to their employee base. Hey, you've got your 401k benefits. You've got your health benefits. Great. What about you? Who are you going to be? Mm. You know, and we tie ourselves so much to our work, which I think is a mistake. I'm learning and I don't have all this figured out, but the more I observe Mm -hmm. the transition take place and not go well, the more I'm going, well, why? And I think it's because our identity was tied into our actual work Mm -hmm. instead of our identity being tied into our purpose and calling underneath the work and letting our work be a manifestation of it. It's much easier than to transition into whatever is next because you're just taking your purpose with you into a different place, a different manifestation. And when we teach people to think that way ahead of time, like if you were 22 and you came into the workforce that way, Mm -hmm. think, think the things you would be doing by 65, you know, and I'm excited about that. So for me, like, I already know I'm not retiring. Mm-hmm. Um, I've figured that out, um, which was funny because my whole objective when I got in was to be retired as soon as possible. <laughs> I love how God teaches us through our own words sometimes of things that we say we will always or we will never. Mm. And God just helps us learn through those yeah. over time and teaches us his way. Yeah, and he gave me, I think, a kind of a cool way to think about it just the other day. Like, he's been teaching me more and more, but... I was just texting with with my dad, and I'm like, we really need to save for calling and not for purpose, Mm -hmm. you know, because I do work with a lot of uh, faith-based leaders, pastors, and sometimes they will say, well, retirement's not in the Bible, therefore I'm not going to save well. Like, "Mm, okay, I think we need to be wise stewards of the resources. I mean, you look at the parable of the talents, it's pretty hard to argue uh, that we're meant to work and produce and do well and be wise with what we've been entrusted. So it's hard to get out of saving. Um, but are we saving for this time when we're really making it all about us? I think that's where we go wrong. Mm-hmm. The more we make retirement about us, the more miserable we are, mm-hmm. um, is my observation. The more we make it about others, the more fulfilled we actually are. Um, but saving for purpose is interesting or saving for calling. What I mean by that is, 
are you stewarding your primary working years well and saving well so that when God calls you to this next thing, you're able to say yes to it when it pays you nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. And in your later years, in those years when you're 60 and 70, it's our most influential time where we should be choosing to spend time mentoring others and being involved in organizations. It doesn't have to be on the board level. It can just be taking a college kid and helping walk them through where is their life calling and vision and spending time with people and investing in their lives. Yeah. And the, the payment is the relationship. Yeah. What you just said was <clears throat> we could do a podcast on just that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that goes so deep. But the retiree has more wisdom, more financial resources, and more time than at any point in their life. We're telling them to step out, uh, get a little more secluded. I, to me, it's a lie of the enemy. Yes. I, and I think it comes uh, looking beautiful like the enemy does. You know, we think he comes scary and, and, and recognizable, but I think he comes you know, twisting these things and they're very easy to buy. Um, yeah. He wants you alone. He wants you living unimpactful. Um, he wants you focused on your money, your stuff. He wants you with a tight grip, you know, instead of open hands. Um, and it's the time to reject all of that and step in and say, okay, maybe I don't have an eight to five anymore. So the season can be beautiful because it's, there's more freedom to it, and I'm not um, having to receive a paycheck for it, so I can kind of write my own script in a way. But what script are you writing? Is is the script about you or is it about others? I love your point about mentoring. This isn't about serving on a big board and being prominent. It's about that one life next to you that God's called you to speak into. Um, you look at suicide rates today, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I bump into it every, almost every day. It's something I'm seeing and facing. Yeah. yeah. Here here in the Springs, um, found out when we moved here just how high the rate has been um, with suicide rates, both amongst teens and even military and adults, and uh, went on a path of trying to understand, like, what can we do about that? Like, how do we move the needle against this? And one thing that came out that I thought was very specific and heard this affirmed multiple times from folks that if you will, if, if an individual have a, at least one meaningful relationship with an, an adult, so thinking we were thinking specifically about teens, but I think this cross across the board and in age and things like that, they'll have at least one meaningful relationship outside of their, their immediate family. Um, suicide ideation plummets, yeah. plummets. And so literally just even being there for folks um, and the mentorship and pouring into is, is so important. Um, and, and then also, right. One of the best ways to, um, to a great way to work on depression is to start pouring your life into others. Right. Exactly. And, and it's all of a sudden it's like, Oh, like, okay. Like, God, like these things that I thought were all so bad really actually don't seem so bad. And praise the Lord, I can actually now work yeah. and, and help somebody else. And so it's, it's kind of a, a beautiful way to, to help solve some of those issues for sure. We had an older gentleman as a neighbor, older couple as a neighbor, and the gentleman had been a CEO of a company, um, but never, you know, portrayed that in the neighborhood. And he made a choice to choose intentionally to ask my kids to come do work in their neighborhood, in their yard and pay them so that they were developing a relationship with him so that he could spend time with them. And he, Mm -hmm. he was also understanding that a different adult being involved in the teenagers lives. And it got to the point where 
my teens then, when it would snow here in Colorado, would go shovel his driveway free because he had developed such a trust relationship mm -hmm. that meant a lot to our kids. Um, I have three boys. He went through each one of our kids doing that exact same thing. You can tell he was being intentional, purposeful, mm -hmm. and breathing life into somebody else's children. Oh, man, that's so good. I, I recently just wrote an article in, a, in this one magazine that was published, and I think we overthink the what a lot. I mean, I think when we're thinking about purpose, we're like, oh, what is my purpose? What is my calling? And we spend, we get so hung up on it that we don't do anything. You know, it's like paralysis by analysis. And I think the why is kind of the bigger thing to figure out. And I don't think it's so specific. I think God's already given it to us, which is to love your neighbor, literally, you know, and it's just one person, you know, and maybe sometimes God blesses you with some more influence and that's great. But, you know, people spend so much time trying to figure out what that they just completely miss all the whys throughout the day. You know, your neighbor just speaking into the lives of your kids through a simple act, you know, it's not complicated, you know, but it does take uh, you saying yes to that on a daily basis. And in the purpose of my article was stop worrying about your purpose. We've already got one for you. And it's to wake up today and say, God, open my eyes to the interactions and the little relationships of things I can do today, just today for the person you put in front of me. It could be the interaction at Costco. It could be, but you have to be looking for it. I try to encourage people like it's fine to enjoy golf in retirement, but maybe instead of going, trying to get your handicap down from 10 and a half to nine and a half on the scorecard, you know who you're going with has some problems and you know, they're struggling mm -hmm. and they're dealing with some stuff. How can you, break that tension and get in there and have conversations and prayer for that person. Like, can you be on mission Yes. on the mundane things of life? Like everything you do, you're on mission. Can you just start looking at your life that way? Well, that's your purpose yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And God's going to move you around and it's going to look different in 10 years than it is today. It doesn't have to be some elaborate plan, but can you just be faithful enough to show up? And I tell anyone can do that. You know, any retiree yes. can do that. And you're going to be, I mean, the amount of fulfillment you're going to get from that and the doors God's going to open and the ways he's going to connect, it's its going to blow your mind. Let's to be clear also, um, anybody can do that. Yeah. Not just even the retirees, yep. right? Like uh, every encounter that we have with individuals can be purposeful or it could be not. And so how are we spending it? Do we have a vision for seeing others, how God sees them and pouring into them? Yeah, I'm, a, a missional time of, 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 of playing golf for four and a half hours, pouring into the life of somebody and their, into their marriage, into their family, um, pointing them to Christ can be a, yeah. a fantastic stewardship of time. Yeah, I mean, serving in a ministry is important and full-time ministries need support. Like I serve on the board of a local ministry here, Crossfire. We need Gosh, we need 50 volunteers a day just to swing the 300 people that uh, we provide no-cost grocery shopping, very dignified way. I mean, that organization takes a lot of manpower. But people think like, oh, I have to go volunteer here to be impactful. No, like the person in front of you may have just lost their child. Yes. I mean, the, they, they may be dealing with a spouse who's taken their life. You know, I was just speaking at a presentation this weekend and someone came up to me afterwards and just that had happened. You mm -hmm. know, I'm just going, I like there is so much pain out there and everyone's got something And this idea that you have to be like, your life has to be so well curated and you have to be happy all the time. 
and if you're not doing well, you can't be of service to others, I think is another lie. Um, you know, we don't have to have everything together to be out making an impact and serving, you know, and, and just know that the person that you're rubbing elbows with, something is going on in their life that they're hurting. Can you find it? Can you speak to it? Does God have a word for them through you or a way to serve through you? I guarantee you that they've got something going on that you can help with. Totally agree. And it just takes that, that step of intentionality of being willing to just be with somebody mm-hmm. that when they're going through those hard things and being there, walking alongside, being Jesus yeah. just can be yeah. being with them. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, he was on mission 100% of the time, you know, and he never turned off. And uh, he did it perfectly, which is great that we have these examples. But he was just going about his time. I mean, he was on mission, but he was having time for the one-off conversation. And a lot of that is what's recorded, you know, in scripture. And so for me, I enjoyed that throughout my day. In fact, it's what gets me up in the morning, if I'm being totally honest. It's not the financial plan. Mm -hmm. It's the, you know... Uh, who's God's going to put in front of me today? And sometimes it's a $20 bill I have in my wallet for the guys that were working on the street that I know work 12 hours that day and have issues. And I want to just say, Hey, I want to buy you dinner, you know, and then we strike up a conversation. And this is not, you know, complicated stuff, yeah. you know, it's just showing up and, and I get more out of that than the person I helped, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's a lesson for the retiree is, and we can we can talk a little bit about generosity here because mm-hmm. um, it's usually the giver that's winning, mm. um, and not winning in a way that is like I'm I'm doing it because I'm getting a win. It's just there are very few things in life like giving mm-hmm. that can have the impact on your soul mm. uh, that it has, which is just tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you. You definitely wrote the book, right, out of the financial service practice because um, you saw this such a great need. Um, and so in that context, and like you even just teased out, like what, what do you wish that other Christians and other folks knew about generosity and stewardship? I think, I think the best application in my setting, which is, you know, we're managing people's money mm-hmm. and um, money makes people weird, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my clients are, are great people, and it, we all have to be on guard with this, but the more we try to control our money, the worse things get. Um, stewarding is important. That's different. You know, I talked about how I check my balances once a year. Well, that's because I've got a person in this office. His name's Alex. He's a co-author of a book. He watches over my accounts, and if I need a tax loss harvest or I need to do something, he comes in and tells me, and I say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that we're good, you know, and so my clients have that with us. And I hope that people listening have a trusted person that they can, they can do that with, but then they step out of that. And then the next step is being generous with it. Um, it feels weird in retirement cause you're not making any more of it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you go through bad markets in retirement, it really plays on your, uh, psychology and physiology actually mm-hmm. like it gets into you and makes you anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's tough, you know, going through your first bear market, still trying to be generous mm-hmm. and not saving at all. Cause you don't have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, your retirement setup is just fraught with mm-hmm. disaster zones. I mean, your mortality is closer, first of all. Yep. So I don't know about you, but you spend any real amount of time thinking about death for a while and it's just weird. Um, it, it puts you in a weird mindset. 
Um, then you think about how close it is, and then you think about the friend you just lost who died out of the blue, and then you think about you're caring for your parents, and you're wondering what's, what's going to be like for you, and you don't have any, you're not making money, you go through a bad market, you don't have a purpose. Okay, now we're starting to understand why things break in retirement. Well, generosity, I think, is one way to break through all of that. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's like that silver bullet you can kind of push through there and say, okay, when I'm, in gener- when I'm generous, I am saying to myself, I trust. Mm. I trust. And if you're a believer, you're saying, I trust you, God. Even though this doesn't necessarily financially make sense, because my budget's tight, my portfolio's not huge, um, but I'm going to give anyways. Um, it's a wonderful way to stop gripping, gripping everything, trying to hold on and control and release that to the Lord. And it has this psychological effect on you uh, that I think is no other way to be replicated. I think the generosity of giving is a reflection of how much we recognize how generous God was to us. Mm-hmm. And that, again, puts it back in that place of trusting God with our life and our timing and all that he has given us. The fact that he has given us his son mm-hmm. to pay the penalty just mirrors so much of as we're in that place of pain, Christ, God was in a place of pain giving us his son. He yeah. suffered a lot. And when we can then mirror that generosity back to others, it is the greatest way that we can honor and glorify God. Absolutely. I mean, most people think they can't afford to be generous for retirement. We tell them they can't afford not to um, because it, it is that important. And I don't want to make it all about the giver, um, but I will tell you that when you start living in trust and less in control, every part of your life gets better. Uh, you make a bigger impact on people, not financially, uh, just in your interpersonal relationships with them. I mean, it just permeates everything. Uh, we have a whole chapter on generosity, um, and we lay out kind of three types that we think are critical. Um, you know, one of them is, is less known. I think when we think generosity, we think giving, um, which is absolutely critical. But there are some other components to generosity that I think are important, but it's a core tenet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something you have to have. I mean, the most generous clients I have are always the most pleasant to work with. They're always coming to my office and are less concerned about how they're doing. They're the ones that come in and are like, how are you doing, Joel? Mm. You know, because 2022 was no fun. That was a hard year. Yeah, I mean, it was just... I don't, yeah, I don't even know if I remember 2022, honestly. <laughs> and a lot of people this year for 23, they're stressing about the inflation yep. and how difficult the inflation is. I look at some of the young families that we've had interactions with and they're like, we're really, really struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to get worse. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to have to learn a hard lesson, I think. Um, you know, I think in a lot of ways it's going to be good in the long run, but I think God's going to teach us that um, it's about, your neighbor. It's about others. It's not about you. It's not about your money. So if I have to press you, I will, um, you know, and we'll squeeze the sponge and see what comes out. But, uh, you know, full sponges don't soak anything up, you know, so a lot of times God squeezes all that out so we can begin soaking in the right stuff, which is, I'm still going to provide, I'm going to take care of you, relax a little bit, Yeah. start living for me and everything gets better. Um, It's just unbelievable how that works. And I'm not saying everything gets better, like all your problems go away and you're happy all the time. 
this idea that we've sold happiness as like this thing to be achieved, I think, is a real lie also. Uh, because uh, living the Christian life is not always, um, it's not always a happy place. You know, it's not always enjoyable. Um, but I will tell you on the, in the entirety of the work that I've experienced over the last 15 years, as I've really walked with the Lord, it's been incredibly challenging, but it is deeply fulfilling and joyful. And I think that's where we're called to live, you know, in this, it's not happiness, it's meaningfulness. Happiness is looking to gain something. Meaningfulness is looking to give something. Um, and I think that's where retirees are called to live. And, and that's the paradigm shift we're trying to get people to make. That's great. And Joel, thank you so much for the time today. This has been a great conversation. I feel like we've we've just barely touched the surface as you even teased out a couple of times. If you want to join into the conversation more, Joel, you have a you guys are running a podcast uh, on the theme of after work as well. And so check out their podcast. We'll put it in our show notes. And Joel, if somebody wants to get a, a hold of your book, how's the best way that they do that? Yeah, I think depending on what you want to do with the book, like if you're interested in the group approach, um, our publisher actually has a very meaningful discount for people. So if you're buying over 10 or more copies, you can get up to 44% off on their site. So if you want to do that, you can connect through our website, which is www.theafterwork.net. We have all of our resources there. We have our group conversation guide so the leader doesn't have to write questions. It's mm -hmm. already built in. Individually, I mean, gosh, Amazon will have it to you mm -hmm. tomorrow, yeah. you know, which is kind of cool, or just the digital version. And then if you're interested in the one-hour presentation, just reach out to us on our site. Maybe you're part of a of a faith-based organization. You want to bring more of this message to your people, yeah. uh, which we believe improves cultures. When we start talking about uh, living with purpose, it's amazing how everyone gets better. Yeah, uh, We're happy to do that as well. So, yeah, just search us up. That's great. Um, your the idea of the the study group and or small group kind of study on it. How long is that one usually take? Uh, should people be kind of thinking about committing? Yeah, I think about ninety days. If you yeah. do a chapter, there's basically fourteen chapters. So if you take it one at a time, yeah, you get together once a week. Um, they're quick reads, so the yeah. book's an easy read. Mm -hmm. um, one chapter is going to take fifteen minutes to read, and then put some thought in the questions. It's really the discussion that is the yep. value. Yeah, it's just prompting the conversation in a group setting. What I love about it is. It gets people talking and creating awareness and accountability for the group. Hmm. So if you start talking about you're struggling, you could use some help. There's people right there saying, hey, let me connect you with this person or that person. God's going to put something on their heart for you and you're going to start connecting. And then when you start saying things out loud, you become more accountable to it and you actually do it. You know, so the group is a fantastic uh, way to do it. I'm excited for what comes out of that. So good. Thank you so much. Well, unfortunately, we have to call this one to a close today. But on the Generosity Now podcast, we seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. For more information on us, please check us out online at ncfgiving.com forward slash Rocky Mountains. You can also send us an email at info at generositynow.org. Please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your network. After you've listened to an episode, think about somebody who you could share this episode to. We would really appreciate it. And each week we kind of close with a closing benediction. And, and this week we're going to close with um, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. 
Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Joel, for your time today. It's been great having you on the podcast and we play, we pray blessings on everyone who's listening. Yeah. Thanks guys. I've learned a lot from you today.